feel like there should be opportunities for those who desire to do it because there's so many avenues and you have to kind of know what you're getting yourself into I used to hear it a lot when I said I wanted to go into private practice a lot of older physicians said private practice ain't easy she responsible for everything my <laughs> practice over you responsible you know like get your life go work for the hospital um and for some people that's what they want to do so I wouldn't say that I know I, I know for a fact that we need more in the field I definitely feel like we need more representation in different parts of medicine and that might mean that we need more private practice and people that can do it their way so for me it was important to go into private practice because I didn't want to have to do it the way the hospital was going to tell me I had to do it if I was a hospital employee I wouldn't We are not telling you to quit your job. Here at Out the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast, we are teaching you exactly how to gain your freedom as a healthcare professional in places that school never taught you. This is OTC University, and class is in session. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, I am the captivating, motivating, tentilating, and money-making Mr. Carl Bourne Jr. And I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Chang. Paul, say what's up to the people. What up? Hold on. I told you I was going to introduce myself properly to the listeners. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, I planned this. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. Let me do it correctly. Listeners. Welcome to the Paul Show. I'm playing. I am happy to be here. Hopefully, y'all are doing great. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All jokes aside, I'm happy to be here. As you can somebody, see, somebody in the car, like their speakers just blew, and I, 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 I don't feel sorry. I am okay with what I just did, but hopefully, y'all enjoyed this one. As you can see, my co-host is a handful. Um, but let's get to the task at hand. Thank you, Paul. You guys know we love to bring you special guests that uh, improve your business, improve your brand, really improve your life. This week is no exception. With that being said, very, very excited to speak with today's guest because we have not had anybody um, on the show that does what she does. And... Um, just really excited to dive into this and you know have her share her story with you guys so without further ado um she is a graduate from morehouse school of medicine uh she is an obstetrics and gynecology specialist in georgia and is a board certified fellowship trained minimally invasive gynecologic surgeon she specializes in the minimally invasive surgical management of fibroids endometriosis and pelvic pain and she is the owner of fibroid and pelvic wellness center of georgia we got jamaica in the building we got delta sigma theta sorority incorporated in the building 
without further ado, I want to go ahead and introduce our guest for today. We got the lovely Dr. Soyini Hawkins. Doc, talk to us. How you feeling? Thank you so much for joining us. Good. I'm good. I'm blessed. Thank y'all for having me. I'm very excited. And I felt the church welcome that Paul gave me. The welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> All right. So let's let's just dive right into it. You know, we like to be respectful of your time. Um, and we always like to start with why, right? Because that's a very, very important aspect of any brand, how any business, how anything was built is starting with that why. So just right off the gate, tell us, like, why did you even choose to pursue this, this field of working with fibroids and endometriosis and pelt? Like, where did this come from? Talk to us from the start. Why? How did we get here? Yeah, the evolve, the, the evolution of how I got here and my why is literally just birthed out of personal pain and, and suffering. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, it definitely evolved. I couldn't say that this is where I was going to be a decade ago, um, but there was a current that happened in my life with my own personal health um, journey with fibroids and endometriosis that uh, essentially marked this as a destiny for me uh, a decade later. And um, my why has, believe it or not, shifted over time. Um, initially, when I started my practice, it was honestly just about women's health and empowering others and honestly finding a way to share my what I consider my gift um, and my love for surgery. And it turned and um, morphed into the necessity to give options to women, especially women who looked like me, because it wasn't out there. But I had to get into it to actually feel and understand and know that. And now um, my why has morphed even more into legacy building, into now creating a path to where even when I'm old and my hands are shaking and my surgical skills are still, it ain't never gonna happen. But if it were to, that I'm actually raising and building and, and feeding into other generations of surgeons like myself that can actually um, continue to make sure our community is well taken care of. That's amazing. That's amazing. I just want to start off by saying I'm really excited for this for multiple reasons. One, just because one of my homies just matched today. So at the time of the recording, it's match day um, for a lot of med students that are graduating. And one of my shot to Gideon just matched today. Um, and I'm really excited because, you know, this this is a testament to just how far one can go to really chase after their dreams. Absolutely. Um, what I want to ask you, you know, and I look, you know, I look at because you have the fibroid and pelvic wellness center. I know in my significant other and her family, you know, most of the women have had to deal with fibroids. And before I met her, I really didn't know too much about it. Um, but, you know, just with that in mind, can you kind of share maybe what some of the biggest myths or misconceptions about fibroids are um, that people may or may not know? Sure, absolutely. So I would say that, so fibroids are starter, just benign tumors that most women in their lifetime might have. 80% of women suffer from fibroids during their reproductive years, if they know it or not. Um, one of the myths is that um, fibroids um, are not, can't be treated. 
fibroids are just an ailment that women have and they just have to deal with and suffer and it kind of just is what it is and leave it alone. Um, and that's not true. I've always felt even before it I became very um, honed into the management of fibroids that women just were not placed on earth to suffer. <laughs> and if you know anything about fibroids, which it sounds like you do because of your connection with your partner and her family, is that fibroids are kind of, you know, they're rampant and they do cause a great deal of suffering for women. So one of the myths to say that, um, and we learn more about this now as we start to really explore the history of um, medicine, Black women in medicine, and the misconceptions about how Black women conceive pain and how we can just handle it, um, that it's, you know, it's a fallacy to, to believe that uh, it's just something that women have to deal with and there's no help out there for them. So I love, I love that we're on this path right now, right? Because we have a segment that we do on our show, and it's our, our Black health segment. Right. So this is this is perfect for for today. Like this is this couldn't have been even more perfect. But we found something right. We found a resource says that black women are hit hardest by fibroids diagnosed roughly three times as frequently as white women and with more severe symptoms. Um, I I'll be honest, I'm not super educated on fibroids. I know a bit because my mom had them. Um, so, you know, I, I had to, you know, like I saw what that looked like with the surgery and, and recovery and, and things like that. Um, but for, for the Black health segment, with that being said, um, Doc, educate us. Um, I guess what I would really ask you is what, what preventative measures are there really to, you know, not have to deal with fibroids or is it is it one of those things where it's it happens because of the aging process like educate us a little bit about that like what does it look like to take those preventative measures and you know what are some things that um black women can be doing to make sure that they're kind of staying ahead of things as far as preventing fibroids and things of that sort to occur sure so it's hard when you use the word prevention um, because I remember when I was just diagnosed with my fibroids, I kind of felt like, why me, Lord? Why, why do I have to deal with this? What did I do wrong? Um, or what did I not do right, right? When you talk about prevention, how could I have lived healthier? How could I have seen this coming? How did I let it get so bad? But when I was diagnosed, just a you know, personal part of my story was that I was not diagnosed. I was found out when it was almost too late. So there wasn't a lot that I could have done in my eye, honestly, to probably prevent it. The thing about fibroids is that all women are born with the capability to grow fibroids. If you have a uterus and you have ovaries that secrete hormones, you can grow fibroids. It absolutely disproportionately affects African-American women. The why to that, we don't 100% know. We definitely know that there's a genetic component to fibroids. There's a nutritional component to fibroids. Um, there's a, there's a um, vitamin D deficiency component, a stress component. And I think by understanding what it is that feeds fibroids and allows fibroids to grow and also what allows the manifestation of some of the symptomatology of fibroids, the heavy bleeding, the pain, um, the bloating, discomfort, and abdominal distension is understanding 
just that, what makes fibroids grow? And then reversing that to say, okay, now that you have the knowledge that you have fibroids, what can you do about it to make it not get worse? Or what can you do about it to make yourself as comfortable as possible? Um, and then even if you seek treatment, what can you do to help prevent it from growing back? Because again, as long as you have a uterus and you're not in menopause, they can grow back, right? So answering that question, and I think, um, you know, more specifically in Black women, um, really being cognizant of that stress factor, right? You know how stress impacts, y'all know this, y'all physical therapists, y'all know this. Stress impacts us in every element of our health, if we understand it or know or, or want to break down the pathophysiology of it or not. Um, understanding that and addressing it. Um, and within our communities is super, super, super important for us to, you know, kind of understand how it might affect us differently than everybody else. But prevention is one thing. I think, you know, if that's beyond our full capability, knowing one, right, paying attention to our body as women and understanding that, again, we're not made to suffer. So if you're missing work, you're missing school, you missing on intimacy with your husband and it just doesn't feel right or your partner doesn't feel right, ask the question of what might be going on. Once you get that knowledge is to answer what might be going on. Now the next step is how can I, you know, what can I do to, um, to, to essentially keep this at bay or keep it where it is or, you know, keep it from coming back if I get treated. I, I had to kind of let it sit, you know, cause I'm taking mental notes. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I want to, you know, I, I know we jumped into that really heavily um, right out of the gate. But, you know, I want to kind of scale back a little bit too, because um, I want to make sure we can talk about the entrepreneurship portion of your journey as well. Um, you know, healthcare, as especially as we've learned over 2020, is healthcare is such a foundational portion of our lives. And for many people that want to be entrepreneurs inside, you know, and our podcast, you know, we like to serve healthcare professionals that either thinking about being entrepreneurs outside of healthcare or within healthcare. And for a lot of people, I think they tend to find themselves in a position of confusion. As a matter of fact, I actually was recording some stuff today about that, how when you're an entrepreneur, you know, it's okay to find yourself just kind of lost. Like you, you really, you might think like you're the only person going through it. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I just feel like I'm kind of like trying stuff and things are happening and you know kind of speaking to them and saying hey you're not the only person that's dealing with this so what I want to ask you um just kind of think back to your journey and you know when you first got started what were some I can't believe I'm actually doing this moments or I don't think I know what I'm doing moments what were what were those like for you and how did they play into your journey that's an everyday moment why are you playing <laughs> so um I started my practice, Vibrate and Pelvic Wellness Center, six years ago. However, I was under the umbrella of two gentlemen that were um, gracious enough to essentially finance my start. They believed in what I wanted to do. They could see that this was a niche that, you know, was needed and necessary in the Atlanta metropolitan area. And they essentially got me started. I learned a lot from a business perspective from these two gentlemen. Um, I learned about private practice and I learned how to essentially just kind of, you know, um, start up uh, a business. And then when COVID happened last year, I had already had it on my heart to do 
start my own practice separate from um, these gentlemen for a number of reasons that we don't have to get into. Um, but when I jumped and made that leap, it was literally that. I mean, it was like in the middle of COVID. I opened up my practice on July 1st, 2020, after they had just put me out of practice for two months. I couldn't do surgery. I couldn't see patients. Everybody was locked down. We were all in the same situation, right? Um, and so what I would say to, to answer your question is that's an everyday occurrence for me. I'm still, I feel, still feel young in this, but I always reflect back on what I had learned in the five years prior. Um, and a lot of it is just honestly, I don't want to call it sink or swim. I don't want to make it seem like it's going to be one or the other, but I'm, I'm bobbing some days. <laughs> I'm figuring it out a lot still. And I, I can credit my success to my support system. My husband is my office administrator. He's a business-minded person in this. He's my biggest motivator. He's the one like, do that podcast or do that speaking engagement or, you know what I'm saying, record, you know, record these, these social media videos and come up with content and all that stuff that I don't think I'm great at, but it's necessary. So we're still figuring it out. That's an everyday move. It's not, it's not for me, sink or swim, it's a bob. I'm just constantly bobbing. As long as my head is above water and I'm breathing, I'm moving forward and I'm growing. I'm growing in that um, that that entrepreneurship mindset every day. But I'll never neglect to reach back to what I've learned from observation and experience, right? And also give credit to the individuals I have in my life right now that are literally imparting in me every day. My husband is a serial entrepreneur. He's been doing this, not in medicine, but he figured that thing out. And we're, we're doing great. We're, we're making moves already in less than a year. I love it. Black love making moves, making yeah. moves. Now, I, I want to kind of touch a little bit on something you mentioned. And I want to ask it from the perspective of like, because it almost sounds like you were at a point where you're like, you know what? This is the time to do it. I mean, a lot of people, you know, the unfortunate part too is I think and this is not to kind of like tell people, oh, you wasted time. But I think for a lot of people, those who are able to sow those seeds and take that leap in 2020 of all years, you put yourself way ahead of the curve, right? So my question for you really is just kind of thinking about in that moment, because that's critical. You know, it's very easy to like when things are good, when the situation looks perfect, when the bank is like, here you go, like everything, all that stuff, right? To be like, yeah, let me take the leap. But in the midst of a pandemic, to start a business where, you know, and, I, and I'm saying this more from like a real estate perspective, like even for real estate, it's like down payments are from 10% to 30%, <laughs> just because we're in a pandemic, you know what I'm saying? So it's like understanding that all these things are going and people are making decisions now based on their surroundings, what really then kind of rooted you in being able to say, you know what, this is what I really want to do. Because what I need the listeners to understand is for different people, there's different motivating factors, but there has to be like one base reasoning to say, I can actually go out and get this done. What was that moment for you? Yeah, it was, um, it, I'm a faith baby. My husband's a faith baby too. And we had always seen it in our destiny to have our own and then God made me really uncomfortable, y'all. Like extremely uncomfortable when COVID happened. 
extremely uncomfortable in the situation and in the environment that I was in. Um, and he honestly, for lack of a better way to say it, he, he, he showed people's behind to me. And I had made a conscious decision that, you know what, I already see my destiny. Why am I running away from it? Because of comfort? Because that'll make people get, you know, stay where they are. I actually call it complacency when it's like, this is good enough. But when you see true destiny and more than what you have going on, where are you at? Um, when, when, when it's time to leap and it's undeniable, you have to move. Um, I felt like I was a little bit pushed into it, but the timing couldn't be any better. The bank said no, but that SBA loan came through, that PPP came through. You know what I mean? Like it, when a couple of doors closed, because they were like, well, shoot, you ain't operated in two months. You ain't brought in no money. How are we going to give you a loan? And I was like, okay, I see you. But I set up my LLC five years ago because I saw this coming. You understand what I'm saying? So I could apply for that PPP because I'm a 1099 employee because I saw it coming. So I had already stacked my coins and had my business plan written out. And I showed that I can finance myself. So I could apply for, you know, this maybe less conventional loan and get that one too. So doors will close. You you get comfortable where you are because it's working good enough, but it was so many points, I would say, in that year prior to opening my business that I got shook and God made me really uncomfortable. Um, and you have to listen to that. You can't ignore it and you can't go back to complacency when you know that your destiny is bigger than that. That did it for me. I love that. I love that for, for so many reasons. I think it's very, and one of the things I could say that um, I appreciate about my partnership with Paul is I think he does a very good job of having that faith when it feels like there's no reason to have faith, right? Like that's, that it's, it's hard to do that. Um, and there's times in, in our business, you know, where we have to do the same thing. We just got to have faith. You know, we, we just got to focus on the things that we can control, you know. And so what I want to ask you, just just based off of, you know, what you said just now, um, I think it's it's very evident that, you know, you move by faith. It's very evident that everything that is coming to fruition for you now is a result of seeds that you planted previously and um, also a result of, you know, the characteristics that you've had to really work on and really walk into to embrace this role as like an entrepreneur. And so what would you say is, is one quote that you live by? Oh, one, just one. <laughs> hey, many, hey if you got more go ahead throw them out <laughs> um I would say one quote that I live by that's a good question you know that sounds like a you know a question I should have a ready-made answer for but I don't know if it's just one the one that comes to me right when you ask that question the first one that came to me was rise up I don't know if it's because I'm hearing the A and that's kind of our Falcons thing, but it was the first one that um, came to me because I feel like that's what I always heard in the background. 
um, especially like I said, in my complacency um, was that there was more, there was more out there um, that I had already seen that I could do something different than this, not necessarily different, but better or in a better way. So Rise Up, I think is one of those that uh, anytime I got comfortable, I could hear in the background if it was in my patients and their needs, right? And I had to rise to uh, where they needed me to meet them or it was my husband and um, kind of, you know, his foresight and I had to rise up to um, his expectations of where I could take our business, not just him, but where I could, you know, accelerate my business. Or if it was just, you know, me thinking about all of what has already been imparted in me and knowing that, you know, I could, I could rise up to the occasion to, to really transform that and do more. So I would say rise up, simple, <laughs> but for me, impactful would be the quote that I live by. I love the quote. I'm a man of quotes, so I love the quotes. Uh, let me ask you a question, um, especially you know, then you, you mentioned, and I love, I love the creative tenacity of how you went about getting it done, right? And I'm talking about your business because, you know, like we mentioned before, I mean, the bank's going to say no. And then you're like, what now? What was what, supposed to go on? And so, you know, one of the things that I think, especially with private practice, and I've had to I, I have a physical therapy practice and man, them startup costs can be as expensive or as cheap as you want it to be, but it's going to cost what it's going to, it costs. So for somebody starting a private practice, um, you know, what, what does that look like? You know, how much capital would you say roughly? Um, you don't have to give us like the trade secrets, the exact numbers for you, um, unless that's your if you want to, by all means, go ahead. But how much capital roughly do, is actually needed to, to get started? Sure. I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, for me, I had very specific kind of um, outline of what I wanted my practice to look like from day one, to be honest with you. I have a partner. I have a physician partner. Um, and that was important to me because of the legacy building part that I told you guys about. I wanted to teach, I wanted to train someone who had similar ambition. So my startup cost wasn't just, you know, a corner office or office within an office. I wanted a space. I wanted 3000 square feet. I wanted renovation. I wanted a feel to my space when my, my patients came in the door. Um, and then I remember when I did my research, my husband and I, we did our research into what those numbers would look like to fit the vision of how we wanted it. And we found that there were so many avenues, like what kind of, are there government grants? They give out grants because you black and you a woman. <laughs> I'm a double minority. Um, you could get grants um, to, to do like government contracts that could pay. Um, I went and talked to the hospital and asked the hospital, what can you fund? What can you not fund? Can you do my EMR? Can you do, you know, can you help me with this fellow? Can you help me with insurance? So that is another piece of advice. You know, I, I always tell entrepreneurs, especially going into private practice, look and see where your funds can come from. They don't all have to come through your pocket. And then, like I said, I was blessed enough to come at a time where I could qualify for PPP and SBA. So my startup cost um, was probably already in the bank. 
me and my husband essentially calculated based on what we wanted to do. And that's why I said it's going to be different for everybody. What it was going to cost for me to pay myself, because please believe I get my coins, for me to pay my doctor, not a mid-level, not an RN, but I wanted a doctor. I wanted to be able to afford somebody that could be in training and what I can negotiate with her. For me to have a set amount of staff, right, to facilitate what I wanted the look of my practice to be. If I want a front desk person and two MAs and an office manager, because some people start off and it's like them and this one other person that's going to be all of that for them. That's a different cost. And we essentially wanted to be able to cover that overhead for a year. So our cost was calculated before the doors opened, before we went to the banks, before um, we figured out what was the magic number to write down on all the government loans that we were requesting. Um, and my husband is a master negotiator. So he asked for more than that. <laughs> and he was going to make sure we figured out a way to make that, you know, that added um, need fit in there. So cost is going to be different. Startup cost for prior practice is going to depend on what you want that starter practice to look like. But I generally would say, write that all down, um, really do the research to find out what are you know the averages in your area for whatever it is that you're looking to finance in an overhead standpoint what's the rent going to look like you know what medical equipment are you going to need because these are things that I didn't think about until I had to think about it um, but when we wrote it down all, on paper when we made it very clear and then we added that okay we we want enough in the bank to feel like we can um, not struggle through this growth and not have to worry about not playing our employees through this growth. And we calculated what would it cost for a year? And that's the goal that we shot for when we went to, um, to fulfill those loans or, you know, dip into our own savings and things like that um, to, to see, is this really feasible? So it depends. Private practice can be a, a you know, a small venture or a very large venture. It really depends on how you want to get started and going. So after, after hearing everything that you've said so far about your entrepreneurial journey and you know getting things started, what is what is your perspective as far as um, more healthcare professionals transitioning into entrepreneurship? Like, do you think that's something that should be done? And if not, if so, like why or why not? Um. So I don't know if I know. I don't know if I've think it's something that absolutely should be done, but I feel like there should be opportunities for those who desire to do it because there's so many avenues and you have to kind of know what you're getting yourself into. I used to hear it a lot when I said I wanted to go into private practice. A lot of older physicians said private practice ain't easy. She responsible for everything. <laughs> My practice over here, you responsible, you know, like get your life, go work for the hospital. Um, and for some people, that's what they want to do. So I wouldn't say that I know I, I know for a fact that we need more in the field. I definitely feel like we need more representation in different parts of medicine. And that might mean that we need more private practice and people that can do it their way. So for me, it was important to go into private practice because I didn't want to have to do it the way the hospital was going to tell me I had to do it if I was a hospital employee. I wanted to do it the way Dr. Hawkins said she wanted to do it. If I want an all-woman staff, if I want an all-people-of-color staff, 
if I want to all, you know what I'm saying? If I want five different nationalities and make sure we can speak every language of every woman, any woman that walked through the door, staff, I can do it the way I wanted to do, right? How my vision was. So I feel like representation matters. And if that means that we have to be on the hospital staff and the hospital board and, you know, make sure our face is showing up when people go on the website for big Kaiser corporations and things like that. That to me is more important than people feeling like they just have to fundamentally have their own. They're going to be, there's going to be individuals like me out there, but I also want us to feel like we need to make sure that we infiltrate even the bigger organizations that aren't private practice to get the representation out. So when patients walk in any door, they, 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 they covered. 100% agree. 100%. So part of the podcast, you know, it, the, the dynamic we have is the healthcare and the entrepreneur. So I want to kind of take a step back and go into the healthcare portion a little bit more, you know, because I really, I really want people to walk away from the show as well, knowing some of this terminology, right. And, 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 and being more equipped to answer questions regarding some of these diagnoses. And so the question that I want to ask you is what would you, for, for anyone that's listening, like what first let, let's, let's just start from a, from a basic level. What are, what is endometriosis? What, what's composed of that? How does that show up in patient presentation? Um, what are some signs, you know, that it's like, you definitely need to go get checked out ASAP. Talk to us a little bit about endometriosis. Yeah, so endometriosis is actually when the endometrium or the lining of the uterus is found what we call ectopically or outside of the lining of the uterus, essentially where it should not be. And that can be anywhere from in the muscle of the uterus, that's actually called adenomyosis. It can be in the pelvis. It could be on the ovaries or tubes. It can be in the diaphragm. It's been found in the brain and in the cardiac thoracic um, cavity in the in the heart muscle on autopsy. Um, and essentially what happens in the way that patients usually represent is with pain. These uh, glands end up being in spaces that it shouldn't be and they actually cause a lot of inflammation and the inflammation causes pain. So the number one presentation and kind of the hallmark to endometriosis is pelvic pain or pain wherever these implants might be, pain with the deep breath. Um, chest pain, back pain, um, pain with uh, intimacy. Um, pain is kind of the, you know, when people think about endometriosis and, and envision it, pain is, is how they're trying to um, picture it or, or, or show it. So for patients that have endometriosis, they don't all have pain. And the other interesting fact about endometriosis is the amount of disease doesn't always equal to the pain that women have. I've seen patients that I can go in surgically. Surgery is the only way to definitively make the diagnosis, not the only way to treat it, but the only way to definitively make that diagnosis is for somebody to put their eyes on those implants. But I've had patients that have had like severe pain, like like pain medication level pain, and they've had one spot of endometriosis smaller than you know, the tip of my finger. And I've had patients that have had endometriosis splattered everywhere. There's somebody took a paintbrush and just slashed their pelvis on the inside with this um, glandular uh, tissue and never had a complaint. 
You know what I mean? Like I took them to take out their fibroids for heavy bleeding and they had endo everywhere. Um, but you know, to the, the, the poster child for endometriosis is pelvic pain. And it's, you know, you should have it checked out when going back to what we said earlier when we started, women ain't made to suffer. You missing work, you missing school, you having days where you're not leaving your bed or you're not leaving your room. That is not normal. You should get it checked out. You could have endometriosis. Okay. Um, now, you know, on the, on the other side of that question too, I think people have to, and let me even ask you two questions if that's okay. Sure. Um, one is a black man who grew up not really going to see medical professionals, right? Um, which is an all too common theme in the black community. Um, I mean, to the point, and you know, we'd like to be honest with our listeners. I mean, to the point, I've been to the dentist like twice in my life. Once, because I was getting my wisdom tooth and needed an x-ray. The second time, because they took my wisdom teeth. You know, happy to report, no cavities, perfect, perfect teeth set here. But, you know, I just say that to the point that, you know, with people that kind of struggle with that um, as a two-part thing. One, either they just can't afford, right? They can't afford to, to come see you. Or two, um, they're just not comfortable, right? What, and I don't want to say preventative measures, but what, what options do people have when dealing with fibros, dealing with endometriosis, right? And a lot of that pelvic pain. What options do, do they have to be able to make sure that they can actually get, get taken care of without feeling like the whole world is going to, you know, fall and shatter just because uh, they needed help? Yeah. I think an important piece to that is first um, for uh, people, period, not just women, because you, you know you as a man have already testified to the fact that you may not see your healthcare professionals as much as you can. Is one asking the question why? Is it rooted in an experience that they may have had, a mistrust that they developed in health? care because some they, somebody wasn't listening to them when they felt like they were screaming for help because that happens a lot with women um, especially women that have fibroids and endometriosis is it because they're taking care of their loved ones and maybe kind of um, neglecting themselves and not even realizing it um, what what is the reason why is it just a fear because of what they read about on google um, there are too many women that are getting late stage, late stage cancer diagnosis, not because they didn't feel the lump in their breasts, but because they were afraid of what the doctor might say that lump is. So first kind of addressing the why I think is important for some patients to just get over the hump of the why, right? Um, and then two, realizing they're worth it. <laughs> they're worth the valuation as to what could be going on um, and what the options are to relieve their suffering. And once they, they, they see the worth in themselves, then they, then they have to do the work. They have to do the research to find doctors that they feel are gonna be compassionate to whatever they have going on. I have patients that reach out to me on Instagram on a daily basis, like Dr. Hawkins, I, I ran across your page or I heard you on, the uh, podcast <laughs> and um, I just, you know, can you help me? 
I don't have insurance. Um, I haven't been to the doctor in eight years. The doctor told me two years ago I need a hysterectomy and I'm scared because I still want a baby. I mean, these are like things that'll keep people away from the doctor. Um, and it's okay to reach out. It's okay to use the resources that we have. Instagram is free. It's okay. Because I, I mean, I reply. I don't want to say everybody replies to those requests, but I do reply. Um, and I think it's also good for people to realize there's resources out there. So even like in my very own hospital, and they probably have this in most towns, my hospital has to write off $3 million a year. So I tell my patients that don't have insurance, don't not come see me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Call, go on the hospital website, go on their financial uh, page, and they have financial assistance applications. I do psh, at least a dozen free surgeries every year. Hospital got money. They can write those off, but a lot of people are like, oh my God, I didn't even know that was an option. Um, and when you're not insured or even underinsured, I have insurance, but it just won't cover this or I can't afford my deductible. I mean, I'm a doctor and my second child was paid for by the hospital. When I got that bill, I was in between fellowship and a real job and I was broke on my couch with two babies. <laughs> and I wrote the hospital. Actually, no, I didn't even write the hospital. I called up to the financial aid and said, I just got this bill for $8,000 for this delivery. I, I got a newborn and I can't do it. And the woman said, can I pray with you? She prayed with me. That thing was taken care of. It was just a matter of asking. But a lot of people don't know those resources are there. You know what I mean? That was in Baltimore and I'm doing this here in Atlanta. It's probably in every city. Um, that women can look into or, or men or family members can look into for their loved ones. So identify why, why you're not going to the doctor, why you're not getting help or what you think might be going on with your body. Find a way to get over the hump of that, empower yourself and understand that you're worth it, and then go do the research to find a fit that's going to get your questions answered and get you some care. Let me ask you one last uh, oh, kind of fun question, you know. Let's get into the good doctor's uh, head. If you, with any resources, anything made available to you, could invent the next big thing, what would, do, what would it be? I can't give away all my secrets. <laughs> do you know how much they pay for medical devices? Listening. That's how you know. That's how you know. <laughs> she already got it in the works. They listening. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be in the OR. And so in the ORs, we have, you know, medical device. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a geek when it comes to technology and like the newest and the best next thing. And my husband's always asking me, what's coming? What's coming? Did you hear about anything? What they talk about the conference? Because he he want to go find out what the, the stock, what's the, the ticker or whatever y'all call it. I don't do the stocks. But we're big into the next big thing. And sometimes in the OR, I will mumble. I'm not going to tell you, but I will mumble what I think the next big thing could be because it's usually to, to, to relieve my stress point, right? Like what is, what is bothering me about medicine or something that I'm using um, in the OR and not fulfilling that particular thing I want to be doing. Um, and the reps are listening and tuned up and I'd be like, nope, 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 nope sealed I ain't telling y'all nothing it's like folks that want to write a book don't tell anybody your book idea somebody's listening <laughs> some authors out there like oh I made this up they ain't make that up they heard somebody tell them their idea I ain't telling you you trying to trick me mercy 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 <laughs> all right let me all right then 
let me let me ask you another one, right? Okay. Right, we, we can talk about the trade secrets offline. Um, I know in the OR, and you know, in my very limited time in the OR, I know each surgeon's different. And there seems to be this particular thing that, you know, the surgeons usually are the one in charge of the vibe in the, in the OR. So my question to you is when you're doing surgery, what's your go-to song? What's your go-to choice of music? Yes. So, okay. So Carl is giving me all types of like Caribbean beach vibes. That's me in the OR. So I listen to reggae and Afro beats in the OR. Egyptian is one of my favorite reggae artists. And when I say my OR staff knows all the latest reggae songs <laughs> and Afro beat dances, um, because we, that's my comfort zone. That's my happy place. And my happy place usually for me does involve music. If I'm studying, if I'm um, you know, just relaxing in my backyard. If I'm operating, music is probably on somewhere. Um, and Egyptian and um, reggae music is, that's, that's, that speaks to my soul. Not just because of my heritage and my roots, um, but, you know, it's what it is. It is, it's what I grew up on and it's my happy place. I love that. I love that a lot. I love that a lot. Um, especially because, you know, my girl, she's, she's Jamaican, right? She's, She's from one of y'all. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've learned to appreciate a lot of reggae, a yeah. lot of, um, and I'm Kenyan, so, you know, I'm with the Afrobeats tremendously yeah. day and night. Yeah. So I'm loving that. I'm loving that a lot. And I appreciate you for sharing that. Speaking of sharing to the listeners, look, I want to share with y'all. Y'all know what it is. Look, it's t-shirt time. It's t-shirt time. It's a t-shirt segment. We want to make sure y'all look fresh. I have the black one. Carl has a black one. We have the white. We have the gray. We have the red. I might even feel nice and give you a color of your choice. But the only way to get that is you have to text the word shirt to 321-384-6275. Again, that's 321-384-6275. And listeners, we let, this episode was fire. Let's just say that. This episode was fire. Y'all got a lot of heat, but we also understand some of y'all in school all day, you're in work all day. You don't have time to sit here and start taking notes. That's why we've gone ahead and taken the notes for you. But to get it, you have to text us, right? We'll give it to you. We're going to pass the notes in class, but to get it, you have to text us. So text the word study guide, study guide to 321-384-6275. Again, 321-384-6275. Seven five. Thank you so much for that, Paul. Dr. Hawkins, wow, this was this was great. Seriously, thank you for educating us because there was a lot of stuff that we did not know, and there was a lot of stuff you know that I'm sure there are people who are going to listen and they didn't know either prior to listening to the episode. So. From the bottom of our hearts over at OTC, thank you so much for, you know, donating your time. What, what is, how, how do you pronounce your husband's name? Osei. 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 Shout out to Osei. We appreciate you for letting your lovely <laughs> wife come on the show. We got to, you know, give him a shout out as well. That's so sad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for anyone who's listening and this is their first time um, being exposed to you and they're like, yo, she's dope. I want to, I want to talk to her. I want to follow her. I want to see, you know, how her journey continues to progress along. 
what would be some uh, social media or contact information you would want to leave? Sure. So my Instagram um, handle is just my first name, last name. So Soyini Hawkins, S-O-Y-I-N-I Hawkins, M-D. And then my practice name is Fibroid and Pelvic Wellness Center of Georgia. So that's how you find me on Facebook. Or you could simply type www.getfibroidhelp.com. And all of my social media handles are going to be at the top of my website. Make it easy for y'all. Getfibroidhelp.com. And I just, you know, I thank you, brothers, for having me on today. This was awesome. Y'all asked me questions that were thought provoking. Y'all got a pause out of me. I was like, wait, now I'm a quote. <laughs> and clearly I like to talk. So <laughs> I appreciate y'all. This is everything to me. Um, your mission and your ministry just aligns with what I want to do outside of medicine. This is everything. We didn't even talk about that. That's reaching beyond, you know what I'm saying, where your comfort zone is and doing more for communities and for others is, is essential to being a good entrepreneur, in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, um, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity. We're grateful to cross paths and um, we'll, we'll hundred percent talk more off air, you know, and, and, and we'll keep things going, but to our lovely listeners, guys, thank you so much for rocking with us. If this is your first time listening to OTC, welcome to the fam. Um, do us a favor, scroll all the way down on Apple podcast, hit the five star, leave a five star review guys. I say this all the time. I'm going to keep saying it. Please stop texting me and Paul. I don't know why y'all are still texting us saying how great the episode is. Here's the rule of thumb. Do not text me saying how great the episode is unless you left the review for us. Then you can text me all you want. But until then, please, guys, do us that favor because it helps people realize how much value we're bringing as well as how much value the guests that we're bringing on, such as Dr. Hawkins, are providing to you guys as well. So. With that being said, please leave that review. Um, We appreciate you guys for rocking with us. Until next time, peace. Many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. Don't be shy to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. See you next episode.